Food allergies, they're common in both children and adults. Parents often ask their physician how they can prevent food allergies in their infants. Avoidance of common allergenic foods in infancy used to be the recommendation, but that is no longer the case. I'm Dr. Matthew Stanbrook, Deputy Editor for CMAJ, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Alyssa Abrams, a pediatric allergist and immunologist with the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba. Dr. Abrams and her co-author, Dr. Alan Becker, have published a review article in CMAJ examining timing of food introduction and allergy prevention in infants. Dr. Abrams, welcome. Thank you. Let's start with the size of the problem. How common are food allergies nowadays? So food allergies are far too common, actually, and rapidly increasing. North American data is that about 5 to 8% of children and about 3 to 5% of adults have a food allergy. There was actually a recent Canadian survey that looked at this. They surveyed households in all 10 provinces and found that about 1 in 12 families reported at least one food allergy in the household. Now, it's important to note that food allergy doesn't just affect that 1 in 12 families. There have actually been studies on this, and food allergy directly or indirectly affects up to 50% of the population. Looking at peanut specifically, because there's a lot of media attention on peanut these days, peanut allergy affects about 1 in 50 school-aged children in parts of North America, Europe, and Australia. And this number is striking. There's about 100,000 new cases of peanut allergy annually in the U.S. and U.K. When you say that food allergy indirectly affects a larger proportion of the population, what do you mean by that? So it doesn't just affect the child. Of course, it affects the immediate family. It affects the extended family. It affects the environment around them. So, for example, a lot of schools are now peanut-free. So peanut allergy or food allergy in general doesn't just affect that person. It affects many people around them. And what kind of foods are we most often talking about here? What are the big players in food allergy? There's eight or nine big players, although this varies depending on the part of the world that you live in. Food allergies actually vary quite a bit by environment, but in North America, you're looking at milk and egg, wheat, soy, peanut, tree nut, fin fish, shellfish, and sesame is a new and emerging big player as well. And is the prevalence of food allergy increasing over time? It is. We've actually seen a drastic increase in food allergy in certain parts of the world. And from a clinical perspective, allergists are just overwhelmed with consultations related to food allergy. In the U.S., for example, between about 1997 and 2007, there was an almost 20% increase in food allergy rates. And over a similar 10-year period in China, the rates of food allergy doubled. Now, looking at peanut specifically, because we have a lot of data for peanut, peanut allergy more than quadrupled in the past 13 years in the United States. And in the UK, over a similar period of time, the rate doubled. Now, I have a personal interest in this topic because I have two children who are now six and eight, and I also have food allergies. So when our children were infants, I remember the advice being to try to avoid cow's milk in the first year and not to introduce eggs before they were a year old and so on. And I think many parents believe this is still what they are supposed to do. But you've just written a new review article for CMAJ to make the point that this advice has changed. Why has advice about avoiding allergenic foods in infancy changed in recent years? 
So the guideline you're referring to is year 2000 American Academy of Pediatrics guideline, and this was the mantra for years. This was no milk for a year, no egg until two, no fish or nuts until three, and this was highly, highly adopted into practice. What's really interesting, though, is if you go back and look at the guideline, it's quite clear in the guideline that this was really consensus opinion. This wasn't based on a tremendous amount of direct evidence at the time. In fact, if you look at the recommendation, they only really cite a few references. After this guideline was released and implemented highly, three things changed. The first we've already talked about, there was a huge increase in food allergies. So the guideline did not prevent food allergies. In fact, with its implementation, food allergy rates actually increased. And in fact, in the UK, when this guideline was implemented, there was a huge spike in peanut allergies. The second thing that happened was studies came out that actually started to look at this. They looked at early versus late introduction of the allergenic foods and risk of allergy. And these studies did not find that later introduction was preventative. As an example, there was a study looking at peanut allergy among Jewish school children in the UK versus Israel. And so presumably similar genetic background, they found a tenfold higher incidence in the UK compared to Israel. Now, what's the big difference between these populations? Well, in Israel, there's a dissolvable peanut snack that's eaten in infancy. So these kids were eating peanut frequently and early, whereas in the UK, they were adopting the late peanut introduction guidelines. As another example, there was also a study looking at over 13,000 infants for milk. So they followed them from birth, and they looked at age of cow's milk introduction and risk of cow's milk allergy. And they found that, in general, the later cow's milk was introduced, the more likely these infants were to be cow's milk allergic. And similar results have also been seen for other allergenic foods, including egg, wheat, and fish. The third thing that happened was the dual allergen exposure hypothesis came out as a method of helping to explain the pathogenesis of food allergy. And what this hypothesis states is that we know the gut is immunologically tolerogenic. So oral exposure presumably would be tolerogenic. In contrast, if you're not eating the food, so oral tolerance induction is bypassed, but you're exposed through alternate means, for example, through your skin, especially if you have inflamed skin, such as children with eczema, this would be a sensitizing route of exposure. And this has been supported in the literature. For example, we've discovered the filaggrin mutation, which is strongly linked with eczema. And filaggrin is actually a protein that helps with epithelial barrier integrity. But filaggrin is also independently linked with peanut allergy. And there have also been studies, for example, showing that in children who are in an environment with peanuts, so if they're in an environment where the whole home is eating peanut, but they don't eat peanut themselves. So they're not getting oral exposure, but they're potentially getting other forms of exposure, like cutaneous exposure, they're at an increased risk of peanut allergy. So as a result of all these three things, the increase in rates of allergy, studies coming out showing that later introduction was not preventative and potentially even increased the risk. And finally, a new hypothesis to help explain the pathogenesis of food allergy, the guidelines have changed. And it's not just the American Academy of Pediatrics that changed, but other guidelines, including the Canadian Pediatric Society, no longer recommend avoidance of the allergenic foods. Sounds like the old recommendations were based mostly on consensus. Subsequent data to those recommendations didn't bear them out. Allergies were actually getting worse in some places. Hence, we have a new recommendation. So let's come to that. What now 
is the current recommendation for when to introduce potentially allergenic foods in infants. So it's important to note that these recommendations are looking specifically at the at-risk infant. So this is an infant with one or more immediate family members with an allergic disease. But the current guidelines, including the Canadian Pediatric Society guideline, no longer recommend, as I said, avoidance. The CPS says you don't have to delay introduction of the allergenic foods beyond six months of age. And it's the age of six months because they recommend exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months. Other guidelines say four to six months of age. The Canadian Pediatric Society guideline also states that later introduction does not prevent and may even increase the risk for development of food allergy. Now, two other important points about these guidelines. The first is that they state that regular exposure is important for maintenance of tolerance, meaning once you introduce one of these foods into a child's diet, they need to keep eating it on a regular basis. It's not enough to feed it to them once. Once they're eating it, they need to keep eating it to maintain that oral tolerance. The second really important point is that in general, and there are exceptions to this, but in general, routine testing prior to first ingestion is discouraged. In general, these children do not need to be tested before these foods are introduced into their diet. Now, you referred to at-risk children being the primary focus of, of the details of this guideline. In your article, you talk specifically about the risk of having an older sibling already identified as having food allergies. Tell us a bit more about that. How much does that increase an infant's risk of having food allergies if they have an, an older sibling? And, and what exactly is the difference in recommendation for them? So we have data on this specifically for peanut. There was a study actually out of Manitoba that documented an almost seven-fold increased risk of peanut allergy in siblings of peanut allergic children. So in this specific instance, this would be a circumstance where preemptive testing to peanut could be recommended. And in fact, in Manitoba, a lot of allergists do that routinely if there is a sibling of a peanut allergic child. Of note, other children who should have preemptive testing would be, of course, any kid who reacted to a food or potentially has moderate to severe eczema. Those would be other circumstances where you could consider testing prior to introduction. Okay, now what about infants who have one or more parents who have a food allergy? You didn't mention that in your article, but do we have evidence about how that affects an infant's risk for food allergies and should the recommendations apply to those infants as well? So that's a really interesting question. And clinically, I get asked that all the time because there's usually a tremendous amount of parental concern if they themselves have an allergy about introducing that food to their child. We do know that there is certainly a genetic basis for food allergies. So for example, we've talked already about the filaggrin mutation and we know that in twins, monozygotic twins have a much higher rate of the same allergy as dizygotic twins and they've shown that specifically for peanuts. So there's certainly a heritable component but exactly what increased risk having a parent with the same allergy confers to the child is unclear at this stage, other than to say that a child who has family members who are allergic is by definition at increased risk of becoming allergic themselves. The guidelines themselves don't really change for this infant, they'd be considered at risk, and this would be an infant for whom there would be no need to delay introduction of the allergenic foods beyond the age of six months. Although practically even lower risk infants, we don't really recommend delaying introduction for them either. 
Now let's talk about another context that, that comes up a lot with this, and that's breastfeeding. Many mothers may be hearing advice about elimination of some allergenic foods from their own diet while breastfeeding, whether it be right from the start or in response to signs of atopy or other issues emerging in their infant. Does it make sense for nursing mothers to eliminate foods from their diet because of worries about allergens? Is this effective and, and is this recommended? So we also get asked that all the time. There's a short answer for this and there's a longer answer. The short answer is that current guidelines, including the Canadian Pediatric Society guideline, do not support maternal avoidance diets. The longer answer is that this has been studied extensively, lots and lots of studies on this, different methodologies, contradictory results. There was actually a Cochrane review that came out looking at pregnancy and lactation and maternal avoidance diets. For pregnancy, they concluded that maternal avoidance diets were unlikely to reduce the risk of atopic disease in children. And really, really important point, in some of the studies that they looked at, there was actually an adverse result from avoidance. These moms were at higher risk of preterm labor and had lower mean birth weight children. So not only did maternal avoidance not help, it was actually harmful in some of the studies. Now, for lactation, it's a little murkier. Avoidance doesn't reduce the risk. Potentially, there's an exception with atopic dermatitis, although it's really important to note that this was largely based on one trial, and the Cochrane Review concluded that better trials are needed, and guidelines, including the CPS guideline, have concluded that based on current evidence, they do not support maternal avoidance diets. Now, while we're on the topic of breastfeeding, because I get asked this all the time as well, the question of whether breastfeeding itself is preventative against allergy. And it's important to note that while it's wonderful for mom and baby, it's recommended by the World Health Organization, American Academy of Pediatrics, Canadian Pediatric Society, etc., that it's six months of exclusive breastfeeding because it's so beneficial to mom and baby, whether or not it actually prevents allergy is unclear. So while we can recommend breastfeeding, for its many benefits, including immunologic benefits, we can't recommend that breastfeeding itself will prevent against allergy. Now, let's talk specifically about peanut allergy. I think this is the one allergy that probably receives the most public awareness. And as we've already discussed, we have schools and daycares often now enacting peanut-free policies. And I think this awareness comes with good reason. We all know how serious allergic reactions to peanuts can be. Your article describes some evidence showing that early introduction of peanuts could actually prevent allergy. Tell us more about this. So this was really exciting in the field of allergy. This was really a landmark trial. The learning early about peanut or LEAP study was the first prospective randomized controlled trial to look at early versus late peanut introduction in high-risk infants. So they defined high-risk as severe eczema, egg allergy, or both. And what this study did is it randomly assigned over 600 infants to either regular peanut consumption, so that was three or more servings a week starting at between the ages of four to 11 months, or else complete avoidance, and the endpoint was rate of peanut allergy at five years old. What this study showed was a drastic decrease in the rates of peanut allergy with early versus late exposure. So the rate of peanut allergy overall in the group that ate peanut regularly was about 3% compared to about 17% in the group that avoided it. This is an overall relative risk reduction somewhere in the order of about 80%. 
Now, after this study came out, which was really, really, really exciting, it was presented as a, at a conference and then released the same day, a new consensus communication has come out on behalf of multiple national and international organizations, including the Canadian Society of Allergy and Immunology and Clinical Immunology. And it now states that in these high-risk infants specifically, there's now level one evidence for early peanut introduction, meaning between the ages of four to 11 months, exactly what they did in the LEAP trial. And this also states that these high-risk infants may benefit first by evaluation from an allergist prior to peanut introduction. Now, we are expecting more formal guidelines based on this study within the next year or so. Um, a few important points, though, about the LEAP study. This was really just in high-risk infants. So we don't know if this applies to the general population. We also don't know yet if it applies to foods other than peanut, although this is being studied. We also don't know how much peanut needs to be eaten, how frequently it needs to be eaten, or whether or not this approach produces long-term tolerance, meaning if these kids at the age of five stopped eating peanut and ate it again a few years later, would they still be tolerant or is there a chance they could react? Now, I understand that you are the parent of three young children yourself. May I ask how you've handled this issue for your own kids? Sure. So I, I am. I have three children who are three and under. So this has been a popular topic in our household. In fact, we have an infant right now who will be introducing foods to in the next few months. We did exactly what the new guidelines recommend, actually. At six months of age, we started with solids. And after I have twins. Um, and when my twins were six months after they had had a few solids so we could see how they were eating, we started with peanut butter, yogurt, sort of all of the other allergenic foods one by one. I think it's really valuable for, for our listeners to hear sort of that perspective from you, because I think there may be parents who will be listening to this, and I imagine they're feeling overwhelmed. I think parents of infants are probably overwhelmed by definition, but specifically by the contradictory messages they receive about many aspects of parenting, but, you know, in, including uh, what to feed their their infants, and they're, they're, they're going to say when they hear this, my doctor told me one thing, now you're saying the opposite, what, what am I supposed to actually believe and, and follow? So as both a medical expert and a parent, if you have one main message that you want parents to take away from this conversation, what would it be? We get asked this all the time to parents who have heard the old guidelines and then they come in and I say, no, introduce early. And they say, but the guidelines said this and now you're saying this. It is incredibly confusing and we have done a full switch in how we counsel families, which is quite overwhelming. My basic advice is... With very few exceptions, the allergenic food should be introduced once you start eating solids. So that's the main take-home point. And just to pin down something on that, is the main message, don't worry about when you introduce foods anymore, or is it actively introduce foods, be, be sure to do that for your children? That's a little murkier. And in, in the LEAP study for these high-risk infants, we can now say that early introduction is preventative. But that's the only study that's really documented that so far. So for the other allergenic foods, what I would say is later introduction has not been shown to be preventative. And in the studies that have come out has actually been shown to potentially increase the risk. But we don't have prospective randomized controlled trials in lower risk infants or in these other foods yet. As I said, some are on the horizon. 
So you can't counsel definitively that early introduction is preventative, except for peanut in these high-risk infants. And what about for healthcare professionals, especially primary care family physicians, who I think are going to be the main ones counseling families about this? Do you have a message for them to take home? There's a few messages. The first would be that avoidance of the allergenic foods has not been shown to be preventative and may even increase the risk. And now specifically for peanut, there is now level one evidence in high-risk infants that early introduction is in fact preventative. I'd say that they should counsel that once the allergenic foods are introduced, at whatever age they're introduced, it's really important that these infants have regular exposure in order to maintain tolerance, that breastfeeding is great, but we can't advise it as a method of allergy prevention, and that you shouldn't counsel for maternal dietary elimination as a method of allergy prevention as well. And then finally, any child who has a sibling with a peanut allergy, of course, who's reacted to a food or potentially has moderate to severe atopic dermatitis should ideally be assessed by an allergist, as should any child where the primary care physician is concerned. Dr. Abrams, thank you very much for helping explain this important topic for our listeners. Thanks for having me. We've been speaking with Dr. Alyssa Abrams, a pediatric allergist and immunologist with the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba. To read the review article she co-authored, visit cmaj.ca.